0: Well, if you ask any marketing expert what is the best marketing and advertising campaign in history, at the top of almost everyone's list is Nike's Just Do It campaign. It's been 25 years since Nike introduced their Just Do It slogan, and it's still going strong to this day. It's really incredible. Uh, If you go back to when Nike first introduced this Just Do It idea, Uh, is back in the 1980s, and at the time, Nike's market share was limited to people that ran marathons. Like, they really had very limited market share. Their chief competitor was a company called Reebok. Remember Reebok? They're kind of still around. Uh, But back in those days, uh, there was a fitness craze that began as you sort of started approaching the late 1980s, and Nike decided they had to capitalize on this craze and try to overtake their chief competitor. And so they came up with this, Just Do It campaign. Now, to say that it was a success would be a massive understatement, right? And you go back to when this first began. Uh, Nike, back at the turn of of the late 80s, their their sales were about $800 million in 1988. By 1998, after the Just Do It campaign started, they skyrocketed to $9.2 billion of sales. Incredible, right? The Just Do It campaign was short and sweet. But what it did is it captured what everyone feels when they try to do anything productive in their life, right? Anytime you want to do something difficult, the idea is no pain, no gain. Sometimes you don't want to do it, but you just got to do it, right? You don't want to run five miles, just do it. You don't want to walk up four flights of stairs, just do it. I feel like telling my kids, you don't want to clean your room, just do it. Doesn't quite work with them, I don't know why. But it worked for Nike, and it's a slogan we all relate to, right? The drive to push ourselves beyond our limits. Nike asked, what was it? What problem they were trying to solve for their customers? And what did they offer as the solution? And they connected with consumers on an emotional level that has been unmatched in the history of marketing. And the rest is history, right? I mean, in 2015, guess what Nike's annual sales were in 2015? $30 billion dollars guess what Reeboks were? Less than $2 billion. Pretty incredible, right? I guess you could say that Nike and their marketing team just did it, (laughs) right? Now, if you say the phrase, just do it, almost everybody on the planet will think of Nike, right? You try this with someone, just do it, they're going to immediately think of the Nike swoosh. But what is interesting is almost nobody would think of Dan Wyden, and why would they? Nobody would think of the Wyden Kennedy Advertising Agency, but it was Wyden and his team that came up with the slogan. They worked behind the scenes to develop the slogan, develop the graphics, and write the commercials that led to Nike's fame. But that's the thing about marketing departments, right? They don't want you to focus on them. They want the product to get all the glory which brings us back now to our series that we're in the middle of here at Metro called Behind the Scenes. And today in week five, what we're going to be talking about, we're going to be exploring today the greatest behind-the-scenes person in all of eternity. Now, brace yourself for that, because what we're going to talk about today is none other than the person of the Holy Spirit himself. And what we are going to find is the Holy Spirit, as the the behind-the-scenes member of the Trinity, does not want to be the focus of anything. He doesn't want the credit. Instead, the Holy Spirit wants all of the glory for his work to go to someone else. And we're going to talk about that today. So if you have a Bible or you have the Bible app on your mobile device, uh, turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 15. We're going to be camping out in the Gospel of John a little bit today. Look a little bit at chapter 15, a little bit at 16, a little bit at 17 here's John chapter 15, verse 26. It says this, it says, When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. So this is Jesus speaking. He's talking about his Father sending the Spirit, and, and Jesus sending the Spirit from the Father. And he's talking about the Holy Spirit. So what we see here in this little verse Are the three persons that Christians refer to as the Trinity? Now, the Trinity is a big fancy theological word that basically means this that there is one God who has eternally existed in three separate and distinct persons. This is what we refer to as the Trinity, which, in other words, means that God the Father has never been alone. There's no such thing as a God who is lonely. God has never been alone. God has always been a father that has a son that he loves. And God has always been a son who has a father that he loves. And they've always loved each other through the Holy Spirit. And this is what we refer to as the Trinity. The Father is God. The Son, Jesus Christ, is God. The Holy Spirit is God. But they are not God apart from one another. They are together the one true God United in an eternal bond of love. This is what Christians call the Trinity. It's the beautiful essence of reality. Unity within diversity. And an eternal bond and fellowship of love that is the essence of all things. It's the beauty of the Christian God. So who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is God. He's one of the members of the Trinity. Which also then means the Holy Spirit is personal. In other words, the Holy Spirit is a, is a he, not an it. This is a mistake people sometimes make. You can have a personal relationship with him. The scriptures say that the Spirit teaches us, dwells in us, gives life to us, cries out for us, leads us, bears witness to us, has desires for us, helps us, intercedes for us, works for us, strengthens us, pours the love of God into our hearts, and can be grieved by us. All of this make clear that he is personal, a Spirit of God. And He is the one that we are going to talk about today. And what I want to convince you is the Holy Spirit is the greatest behind the scenes person of all eternity. Right? The behind the scenes member of the Trinity. Now go back to John 15, verse 26, and look at this again. Jesus speaking about the Spirit. He says, When the Helper comes, what a great description. Wouldn't you want people to describe you that way? The helper. (laughs) When the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Now this was written by a man named John, the author of the Gospel of John. And and the cool thing that John, I mean, imagine being the guy chosen by God to be Jesus' best friend while he walked on the earth. That's John. John. John refers to himself in his gospel as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Jesus' best friend in the whole world, which means that John was an eyewitness to Jesus' miracles, an eyewitness to his death on the cross, an eyewitness to his resurrection from the dead. And when we read John chapter 15, we are reading an eyewitness account of someone who was there of the very night that Jesus was arrested. John chapter 14 through 17 is what's known in the Bible as the upper room discourse where Jesus spends four chapters talking to and teaching his closest friends the night he was arrested, the day before he was crucified. And Jesus knows he's about to be killed. And even though he knows that he's going to be resurrected, he's going to be risen from the dead, he also knows that shortly after his resurrection, that the Father's going to take him out of this world and that his friends and followers are going to be left behind to carry on his mission. And Jesus is trying to prepare him for this. In John 15, 26, Jesus promises his followers that he and his Father are going to send them a helper, the very Spirit of God who's going to enable them to fulfill their purpose. And then he tells them what the Spirit will do. The Holy Spirit bears witness about Jesus. This is what the Holy Spirit does. The Spirit's goal is very simple. He testifies about Jesus. The Holy Spirit does not want the attention to be on him. And he doesn't want the attention to be on us. He wants the attention to be on Jesus. He wants people to know who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And you and I are supposed to take our cues from the Spirit. Every follower of Jesus is supposed to be behind the scenes, lifting up Jesus so people see him for who he really is. And so listen, if you ever find a church, and maybe you've been to a church like this, God forbid that Metro would ever be a church like this, or that we ever have been. If you ever find a church where the focus is on the Holy Spirit, or if you ever find a church where the focus is on a pastor or a musician, you know that you have found a church that is completely out of step with everything the Spirit is about and everything He wants to do. Listen, the Holy Spirit is here to testify about Jesus, to point people to him. Look one chapter over at John chapter 16, one chapter over in your Bible, starting in verse 13. It says this, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, Jesus says, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said to you, he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Now I see two things about the Spirit here. Number one, the Spirit guides us into truth. This is what the Spirit does. The Holy Spirit, maybe you knew this, maybe you didn't, is the divine author of the Bible. This is his book. And one of his primary objectives is to guide us into its truth. The Bible is a supernatural book. Breathed out by the very Spirit of God, unlike any other piece of literature in the entire world. It's a living book filled with the presence and power of God Himself. Now, look, you might be one of those people in the room that you're not convinced. You don't believe the Bible is the Word of God. And and I'm going to humbly suggest to you today, and then I'm going to ask you to come back, because we're about to start a new series at Metro called I Don't Believe. And we're going to tackle head on the people who say, I don't believe in God because I can't believe the Bible. I wanna just humbly suggest to you, if you're one of those people that says, I can't believe God because I don't believe the Bible, it is because you are just misinformed. I say that with humility, not with arrogance. Listen, this book is unlike any other book and it's the Holy Spirit's goal to guide us into the truth of the Bible, this God-breathed book by the Spirit of God himself. So again, maybe you've been in churches where the focus is on something else. I've been in churches where the focus is on some kind of experience of the Spirit, right? Or some feeling that, you, that you're supposed to get from everything, rather than the focus being on the teaching of God's Word. But, but just as you know, if the focus is on the Holy Spirit himself, you have found a church that is out of step with the whole, what the Spirit's all about. <laughs> For the Spirit, the focus is always Jesus. And if you find a church where the focus is on anything other than the teaching of God's word, you found a church that is out of step with the Spirit of God. Point to Jesus and teach God's word. This is what churches are for. And I pray this is what Metro is always for. Because then you know you are in step with the Spirit of God and some great things are going to happen. Next thing I see is this. The Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. This is what he's all about. The reason the Spirit testifies about Jesus, the reason he guides us into the truth of the Bible is because the Spirit's ultimate goal is the glory of Jesus. And the reason the Spirit's goal is to glorify Jesus is because the glory of Jesus is the purpose of everything. It is the ultimate purpose of everything. If you're ever going to understand anything about anything, I know that's a big statement, If you're ever going to understand anything about anything, you have to understand that the glory of Jesus is the purpose of everything. Now this goes back to the purpose of the Trinity from before time began, before creation existed. So I'm going to ask you to journey back with me for a moment to a time before time began, when all there was was God. What was God doing in all eternity? What is God like? Who is he? independently from anything else who God is is he is a father who has a son that he loves and he is a son who has a father that he loves and they have always loved each other with an everlasting and infinite love through the holy spirit and this is who God is and when the trinity created anything else it was to express and share that love listen The Trinity created the universe so that we would join the Father in loving his Son through the Holy Spirit. This is why we exist. If you want to see one verse in the Bible that I think summarizes the purpose of all things, this verse I'm about to read to you is incredible. It was the last words that Jesus spoke in the Upper Room Discourse the night he was arrested. As he looks at his followers and he has one last thing he wants them to hear, the one last thing he wants them to hear is his prayer. He's praying to his father right before he goes out and gets arrested. And in this statement, he gives us what I think is the purpose statement of everything. Listen to this, John 17, 26. Jesus to his father. He says, Father... I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. And that is good news because it means that Jesus wants you to be with him where he is. That is really, really good news because if you knew where Jesus is right now, in the presence of his Father where there's fullness of joy and everlasting pleasure and the absence of all sin, suffering, pain, and death, and Jesus says, Father, I want them to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me, Because you loved me when? Before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, and now Jesus is going to tell us everything he came to accomplish during his time on earth. He says, Righteous Father, I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that, and here it comes, the purpose statement of all things, in order that the love you have for me may be in them. And I myself may be in them. The goal of all creation is that we would love Jesus with the Father's own love and be the embodiment of Jesus' glory through the Holy Spirit. Or, to put it in my own simple words, we exist to love Jesus and become like Jesus. This is the purpose of all things. This is our purpose in life. Now, don't pass over that sentence too quickly. We were created by God to love Jesus and become like him. It's the reason we exist, which means if we live for anything else. Now look, if this is true, this is true. If we live for anything else, we lose our purpose. Every other relationship on this earth only has meaning to the extent it's an expression of our love for Jesus and a reflection of him. Husbands are called to love their wives like Christ loves his people. Mothers and fathers are called to love their children like the father loves his son. Friends and brothers and sisters and neighbors are called to love one another as he has loved us. Jesus said when we love the least of these in this world, we're actually expressing our love for him. We're even called to love our enemies in a way that draws them in to love Jesus. It's all about Jesus from beginning to end. Jesus is the point. All the rest of us are behind the scenes. Called to play our part in lifting Jesus high. Joining the Father in loving him. In becoming like him. In leading everyone we meet to do the same. The end goal of all things is expressed in Philippians 2. Listen to this. God exalted him, Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? (laughs) Jesus is the point and all of this brings us back to the Holy Spirit and his role in the Trinity. And it is a glorious role. I love the role of the Holy Spirit and what he gets to do in all of this. The Holy Spirit is the one who carries and shares and expresses the love between the Father and the Son both within the Trinity. Think about this. What the Spirit's role is is to carry and share and express the love of the Father for the Son to the Son and to carry and share and express the love of the Son to the Father to the Father and not only within the Trinity but for us. The Spirit is the one who carries and shares and expresses God's love for Jesus to us and in us. Listen to the way Romans 5.5 puts it. God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. If you have ever experienced the love of God, it was the Holy Spirit who poured that love into your heart personally, intimately, directly, This is the Spirit's role. It's a glorious role. (laughs) He gets to go all around the whole world expressing and sharing and carrying the love of God everywhere he goes and everything he does. He does everything he does in order to testify about Jesus, guide us into the truth about Jesus, and glorify Jesus so that the maximum number of people join God the Father in loving his Son with maximum joy forever. And this is the Spirit's role. Now, I understand talking about the Spirit like this probably makes the Spirit... I've heard people describe the Spirit as the shy member of the Trinity. He does not want to be the focus, but I just can't help it. Every now and then, you just have to celebrate those that are behind the scenes. The Holy Spirit deserves... Listen, I understand He doesn't want the glory, but I have to confess, when I look in the Scriptures about the Holy Spirit's role, I find it captivating. And and yes, I find it glorious. He gets to do, the Holy Spirit gets to do some of the coolest and most spectacular work there is. And he doesn't want any of the credit for it. He gets to carry, share, and express the love of God all behind the scenes. He wants Jesus to get all the credit and the glory. But when I look at what the Spirit gets to do, it's awesome. For, For example, When God created Adam and Eve, right, remember he forms them out of the dust of the ground. Who was it that made Adam and Eve alive? John chapter six, verse 63 says, it is the spirit who gives life. The spirit is the one who was the breath of God that filled Adam and Eve and made them living souls. What an incredible role. Who was it that led Moses and the people of Israel out of Egypt and through the Red Sea? Isaiah 63, 11 says it was the Holy Spirit among them that led them. Who was it that enabled David to kill Goliath and save Israel? 1 Samuel sixteen thirteen says it was the Spirit of the Lord who came powerfully upon David. Who was responsible for the Virgin Mary getting pregnant with the Messiah? Matthew 1:18 says so she was pregnant through the Holy Spirit. How did Jesus perform all of his miracles after he became a man? You ever think about that? Jesus became a man and walked on water. And you know, it had nothing to do with him being God. He became a man for real. The scripture says that Jesus performed all of his miracles because the spirit of the Lord was upon him. Who raised Jesus from the dead? Now, I know on Easter we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And we all say, Jesus rose from the dead, right? But you realize, Jesus did not raise himself from the dead. He rose from the dead, but he didn't do the work. Do you know who it was that rose Jesus from the dead? Romans 8.11 says, it was the spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. And then it goes on to say, the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead now dwells in us. Isn't that incredible? Who is it that saves people from their sins? Now, I know Jesus died on the cross, right? Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. But who saved you? Who took the benefits of the death of Christ and brought them to you and applied them to you? Who rose your dead soul back to life? Who caused you to be what the scripture calls born again? You know, the scripture says that nobody can enter the kingdom of God unless they have been born of the spirit of God. He's the one that raises our dead souls back to life. Who is it that helps us in our weaknesses? Who who is it that enables us to overcome our struggles, our sin, our bad habits, our addictions? Romans 8.26 says it's the spirit who helps us in our weaknesses. 2 Corinthians 3 says the Spirit is the one who transforms us into the image of Jesus from one degree of glory to the next. And who is it that gives Jesus' followers the courage and the power to spread the good news about Jesus all over the world? Why is it that we live in a world today where all across the globe there are billions of people who put their faith in Jesus? How, How did the Christian church spread from this small little village in Palestine all around the world. Who gave these people the courage and the power to do this? Acts 1.8 says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, Jesus says, in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Glorious what the Holy Spirit gets to do. But but this is where the -the behind-the-scenes role of the Holy Spirit gets very personal. Because he wants to give you the power to be Jesus' witness. He wants to give you and me, he wants to show you and me the truth about Jesus. He wants us to join the Father in loving his Son. He wants us to point the world around us to Jesus so that they love him and become like him. He wants to give you and me power to become Jesus' witnesses, and this is what we were made for. Now, most of you in the room probably already know, but uh, my wife Tara and I and our family Uh, we're moving next month to Oregon. Uh, We're taking a position, we hope, we're still in the end stages of the interviewing process, uh, to take a position at a church in Oregon. And we were out there recently and got a chance to visit with some of the people there, and it was great, and went through all the interview process. Uh, But one of the most incredible things we got to do while we were there is we got to spend an entire evening with a man named Randy Alcorn and his wife Nancy. Uh, Just a private dinner in the home of a of my friend who's the pastor there. got to spend an entire evening with them. And, and the reason this was such an incredible privilege for me is that Randy Alcorn's actually one of my heroes in life. Uh, he's one of the best Christian authors in the country. He's written some incredible books, uh, especially his book on heaven. If you haven't read it, you should read it. Just unbelievable the, the wisdom and the knowledge God's given this man. He's one of my heroes in life. And I got to spend a whole evening with him. Talking about his role in the church. So, Randy was the founding pastor of the church that we're going to become part of in Oregon. And that was 40 years ago. Uh, but he's no longer one of the pastors there. What he does today is he owns a nonprofit organization. He runs, not owns, nobody owns a nonprofit, right? But he runs a nonprofit organization called Eternal Perspectives Ministries. And uh, he works for this nonprofit. But the story of why he's no longer a pastor and he runs a nonprofit is incredible. Uh, It goes back to the early days of when he was a pastor at the church. Uh, A young teenage girl in the church got pregnant. And the family was not supportive. The family was trying to encourage her to terminate the pregnancy and have an abortion. And Randy and his wife decided to take this young girl under their wing, invite her into their home and guide her through this process, and they cared for her and loved her and led her through the process of giving her baby up for adoption. And it was a beautiful thing. Uh, To this day, the the woman, that young teenage girl who's not so young anymore, looks back on it with such gratefulness to God for the way that he used Randy and his wife in her life. Her name was Diane, was the young girl. Uh, But it started a process in Randy and Nancy's hearts of just a passion for helping young women who find themselves in unexpected pregnancies like this, and just a passion to care for these women and their babies. And Randy got very involved. In fact, he was on the board of the First Crisis Pregnancy Center in Oregon and was, became incredibly involved in this. And, and as it moved into the late 80s, 1989 time frame, uh, he started to really participate in some peaceful, nonviolent protesting at abortion clinics in Oregon, uh, civil disobedience, type of stuff, where you're actually trying to block entryway to the clinic to try to keep women from going in and and killing their babies. And uh, of course the abortion clinic did not like this. They filed some lawsuits. He spent some time in jail. Uh, But eventually they filed a massive lawsuit against he and some of his friends for the the negative impact that they had had on the business and the reputation of these abortion clinics. And Randy's attorney started telling him, hey man, I don't know how this is going to turn out. Uh, Is this going to go to trial? There's no guarantee what's going to happen here you might actually lose and Randy remembers standing in front of the judge one day and telling the judge saying I'll pay anyone anything I owe them but what I will not do is pay a single penny to someone who's going to use that money to kill babies I will not do it now you might clap or not clap at that based on your political persuasions on this right but all I'm telling you is that Randy and his wife were so passionate about this that what they did in anticipation of maybe losing this trial, they transferred possession of all of their assets. They resigned from the church so that the, the clinic could not garnish their wages. He started a nonprofit organization, transferred all the royalties of every book he would ever write into the nonprofit, and started taking a minimum wage salary from the nonprofit. Because if he made any more than minimum wage, the abortion clinic could start garnishing his wages. Well, sure enough, the, the trial finishes and they lose the trial. It was the single biggest judgment up to, up to that time, the, the, by far the largest judgment ever levied for peaceful, nonviolent protesting. $8.2 million was awarded to this abortion clinic. That was 27 years ago. To this day, 27 years later, that abortion clinic has not gotten one red penny of Randy Elkhorn's money. (laughs) Uh, To this day, he still takes a minimum wage salary because if he makes any more, he's got to give some of the money to them and he's just simply not going to do it. He's given up everything. He resigned from the church that he loved. I mean, the sacrifices this man has made, is incredible. Here's the sense of humor of God in some ways. From that day until now, in those past 27 years, Randy Elcorn has sold 9 million books and has never seen a penny of the royalties. Every penny of it funnels back into ministry and supports nonprofit organizations all over the world, including much of it going toward the pro-life cause and crisis pregnancy centers that care for women and their children through this process. And listen, here is the reason that Randy and Nancy do this. It's because they believe that every one of those women and every one of those babies was created by God in order to love Jesus and become like him. Randy and Nancy agree with the Holy Spirit about the purpose of, of the universe and everything else. And they are bent. Listen, if, if the purpose of those women and children is to love Jesus and become like him, then Randy and Nancy are going to sacrifice everything it takes to make sure they have that chance. Listen, this is what the Holy Spirit will do. This is what it means when the scripture says that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be his witnesses. This is what it looks like when this happens in a person's life. For Randy and Nancy, this is what it meant for them. And listen, in the process, they've never looked back. Every need they have ever had. When you join the Holy Spirit and his purpose for the world, when you make it your mission, when you join forces with the Spirit of God, the promise is that everything you need to do God's will will be given to you. They sacrificed a lot. They look back and they say every need that they've ever had has been met in full. And then some. God has been with them every step of the way. And so what is this power? And why should you want it? What does the power of the Spirit actually look like in people's lives as he leads people to love Jesus and become like him? It looks like what happened to Randy and Nancy Elkhorn and to billions of other people throughout the centuries. And I think it's captured best in two passages from Scripture. I want to show you these. Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And my question is, who wouldn't want that? Love, joy, and peace, and all the the characteristics of the Spirit of God and the love of God flooding into your life. Listen, the the primary fruit of the Spirit is love, but it's not just any kind of love. This is a supernatural kind of love. Love. Because it's the very love of God in us, produced by the Spirit. Listen to this and what it's like. This supernatural love the Spirit wants to fill your life with is patient. It's kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It isn't proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Listen, the the love of the Spirit of God, the supernatural love that the Holy Spirit carries and shares and expresses in us and through us never fails. And so if you want your life to be filled with supernatural love, joy, and peace, then let the Holy Spirit lead you to love Jesus and become like him. If you want supernatural patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness in your life, then let the Holy Spirit lead you to love Jesus and become like him. If you want supernatural gentleness and self-control, if you don't want to be so angry and selfish and unforgiving and envious and arrogant, then let the Spirit of God lead you to love Jesus and become like him. If you want to be filled with everlasting hope that will never disappoint you or ever fail you, then let the Holy Spirit lead you to love Jesus and become like him. In other words, become a person who is filled with the Spirit of God. If you do, then all of the Spirit's power will be at your disposal. If you make the Holy Spirit's goal your goal, to point people to Jesus so that they love him and become like him, then you will join forces with the greatest behind-the-scenes person in all eternity and he will give you whatever spiritual gifts and whatever divine power you need to do whatever needs to be done. If someone needs to be encouraged, he will give you the words to encourage them. If someone needs to be taught, He will give you the words to teach them. If someone needs to be helped, He will give you the resources to help them. If someone needs to be healed, He will even sometimes heal them through your prayers. The only thing that's keeping you and I from the Spirit's work in our lives is the refusal to join the Spirit behind the scenes in leading people to love Jesus and become like Him. And so, can I borrow a phrase from Nike? Just do it. <laughs> right? Just do it. Find someone to love. Become like Jesus so they can see what he's like. Find someone to serve. Find someone to encourage. Find someone to pray for. Forgive someone. Be kind to someone. Be patient with someone. Help someone. Point someone to Jesus. Do it all in his name, and the power of the Holy Spirit, with all of his love, all of his joy, and all of his peace will flood into your life and overflow from you. And you will become what you were made to be, a lover of Jesus who is more and more and more like him. Every week in this series, we've ended the message by celebrating someone who works behind the scenes, who just does their part, who's been moved by the Holy Spirit to join him in his work for the world, to do whatever they can behind the scenes so that people can... See Jesus. Last week, we looked at a guy who fixes vacuums so that this place can be clean, so that a barrier can be removed that might keep someone from seeing Jesus. Just doing their part behind the scenes to lift Jesus up. And there are so many in this church that do that, hundreds of you. And so what we decided to do this week is not celebrate one person We wanted to try to celebrate everyone. Now, I've already noticed that we missed a few, so just bear with us and please forgive us if you're one of the ones we forgot, but we tried. And you're gonna see, we're gonna have some fun with this, by the way. You're gonna celebrate and we're gonna do this together, but what I wanna encourage you to do is to really enter into this as a celebration of the Holy Spirit's work in people's lives, where the Spirit has given people power to be Jesus' witnesses in a myriad, in dozens of different ways, hundreds of you, And we so appreciate what you've done. So have some fun with this. Let's celebrate this together. Watch this. Can we give a standing ovation to everybody that serves behind the scenes around here? Let's just give give it up for everyone. Uh, Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. And listen, if you're not one of them, just do it. Listen, you will not regret it. I promise you, it is so incredible to be involved in what God is doing. And the most incredible part is when you can feel the Holy Spirit empowering you, when you serve in the strength that he supplies and not your own. It's nothing like it in the whole world because it fills you with all the fruit and the love that we talked about. Um, It's the only way to live. Uh, You are missing out, so let's do it. Let's get involved and, and, and make it happen together, joining the Holy Spirit and lifting Jesus high so that people see him for who he is. They fall in love with him and begin a process of just becoming more and more and more and more like him. And then the universe is as it should be, right? And is as it will be for all eternity. So let's pray together. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your son Jesus that you sent and shared with us to be our savior, our brother, our friend. Lord, we love him. (laughs) Those of us that know him, we love him. Thank you for giving us your spirit so we could share your love for him. Would you continue the process of just changing us and making us more and more like him? And for everyone in the room, God, would we, would we all just take our next step into your purpose for us? Whatever it might be, Lord, help us to just do it. And for those in the room that might be still far from you, I pray that something they've heard and experienced today would begin the process of the spirit of God right now drawing them to Jesus, that's the Spirit's role, that's what he does, and so right now in the room, Spirit of God, do your work, draw people to, to Jesus, to see him for who he is, his greatness and his love, let there not be a single person in this room that ends up lost and separated from him, bring us all to faith and trust, and fill us with your love, joy, and peace, in Jesus' name we pray, amen.